Blog Talk Radio. There was a time I was so afraid, so scared to do what I wanted. In looking back, I can see all the mistakes that I made, and I wish that I Talk to me and tell me I can change. Don't be afraid. Just walk with your head up high. Don't be afraid. Just take it one step at a time. Don't give up on your dreams, no matter how small. Hi, welcome to Blog Talk Radio, Safe Recovery. This is Monica Richardson, and I'm your host. Tonight is November 5th, 2013. Wow, two years, two and a half years I've been doing shows. I can't believe that the time has passed. Well, tonight I have a really, really exciting guest that I hope he calls back in. He was in the queue. We just spoke. So, uh, Terry, if you're out there listening, go ahead and call back in to 818-475-9211. That's the call-in number. I hope we are going to take some calls during this show. We're going to give him a chance to talk. This is Terry from the creator of the orange-papers.org, one of the most critical, biggest forums and websites and encyclopedias exposing the truth about Alcoholics Anonymous and Bill Wilson. So there he is in the queue. Welcome. I'm going to say hi to everybody who I know in the chat room. Gunther, Powerful, Sally J, Cause and Effect, ETP. Hi. Hooray. Okay. I'm just going to bring Terry on. Hi, Terry. Welcome to the show. Hi, Monica. Thank you. You're welcome. Oh, I was reading a little bit about your your beginnings. I had no idea. I want to let everybody know that Terry does have a whole page of introduction, orange, uh, about his life and the beginnings of it. So maybe, we, look, can you tell us a little bit about your, uh, you want to tell us a little bit about your history? About my history? Okay, I guess um, the critical thing is probably the child abuse issues. Mm-hmm. where I came out of my childhood basically wanting to feel good and I could never feel quite right. And I think that's actually a common thing that happens with a lot of people who end up being ad- alcoholics or addicts. Mm-hmm. In fact, um, I was reading a study called the Cerebellar Vermis. Yeah, good tongue tri- twister word there. <laughs> but a small organ in the center of your brain that can be shriveled up by chronic childhood abuse, especially sexual abuse, or I'm pretty sure it also applies to like physical abuse or mental abuse. Apparently, chronic tension just re- restricts the flow of blood to this part of the brain. And as you grow up, it just doesn't develop right, and you always feel a little bit out of sorts and a little bit off, and never quite happy. 
And it's just a perfect setup for them wanting to use drugs or alcohol to change how you feel and fix things. Wow. And what is yeah, the name of that again? Can you say that again? The Cerebellar Vermis. V-E-R-M-I-S. Hmm. Uh, um, that, that sounds I, I wish like, I, yeah. Uh, I, I wish I could about give you your... your yeah, that ahead. would be great. If, I mean, you can't do it now, can you? Are you in the chat room? Or are you at a computer or are you just on the phone? Oh, I'm on the phone. I've got my laptop in front of me. Um, Can you see the chat room? You know what? It's okay. But anyway, yeah, let's, yeah, it's on let's my do it later because I want to talk to you. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, no, it's good. Uh, I was reading about you in college, uh, just briefly about your father and, um, you know, just how abusive he was. And, wow, I had no idea that, you know, you were suicidal in college. Yeah, although even that's debatable. I mean, I talked to one psychiatrist who said, well, you weren't really suicidal because you would have succeeded if you were. So, yeah. Um, well, I don't, that's I not, think what that's really kind of cruel. Yeah, but it was also truthful in a way. You know, I mean, he has a point, right? If you're really suicidal, you'll die, right? Mm. If you're just sort of thinking about it, then maybe you're not really suicidal. Yeah, well, I know people who have, but... Um, so you have a huge site. It's, uh, let's talk about how long has the Orange Papers been up? Oh, something between 12 and 13 years. I started writing it soon after I got sober because I was horrified by what I saw as a uh, treatment program. And so it started with, I just thought I'd write a 30 or 40 page term paper about why it was inappropriate to use Alcoholics Anonymous as treatment for a murder alcohol problem. And things just sort of got out of hand. Wow. Wow, and and what kind of puts you over the top that you actually? Because we all have our stories. You know, I have two blogs, and there's many there's many blogs now. What kind of puts you over the top and said this needs to be a blog? Um, it kept growing and growing. Um, it started with I just sent my pages to Apple, who ran the aadprogramming.com website way back when. And she divided it up into a bunch of pages and put it up. But then I kept coming up with something more, a little more research, a little more history on the Oxford group, and I kept wanting to expand and revise pages, and she didn't want to. So I said, well, okay, I'll just go host the pages over on another site. And I went through a whole migration of sites like uh, Yahoo GeoCities, which was okay for a couple of years until they just totally erased it one day because somebody complained that they were offended by my criticism of their religion, meaning Alcoholics Anonymous. Right. So right. I found another site, and that was okay for a while, but then I, uh, I think it was Tripod, and they had a limit of like one gigabyte per month. Mm-hmm. And... Now I'm up to one gigabyte per a couple of hours. So, oh my God! <laughs> oh yeah, it's unreal. Um, yeah, it is. It, it just keeps growing and growing. Yeah, we just went over uh, five million hits. No, four million hits a month, right? Last month. Wow, we should have a fundraiser for you. You have a donate button somewhere? Yeah, yeah. There's PayPal things at the bottom of the webpage. Let's see. Let me look at anything because I've never seen it. People said you have it, and I'm going to make sure that I donate somewhere. Um, oh, PayPal donate. So everybody out there listening, 
as we all go there more than once a day, which I do, uh, I used to do that with stinking thinking until that changed. But you just scroll down the first page, orange-papers.org, to the very bottom, and on the right, it says PayPal Donate. Okay, we will do. Oh, you know what? I, I grabbed the same orange or similar orange for you. I had fun putting up my post on my Leaving AA site, grabbing, like, beautiful oh. orange pictures. You know, I was like, oh, this is gorgeous. Oh, yeah. Right? I mean, because I'm always interested in improving the list and having orange construction. Oh, you should take a look over there. I mean, it's really... There's some beautiful uh, pictures. It's one of the things that I noticed between my different blogs. But anyway, enough of me. I want to talk about you. So it, it's huge now. Um, why orange? Our website was named Apple, right? So just yeah. as a joke, I said, well, if you're <laughs> Apple, then I'll be orange. And we can make jokes about mixing apples and oranges. And <laughs> That's really funny. Okay, somebody heard that. There was Apple, and then he's an orange. It's like... Uh, the big book, and I found out from interviewing Dr. Kern that his small book was was poking fun at the big book. I didn't know that, yeah. but I I found it by uh-huh. interviewing. Oh my God, that's really cool. Um, now you know, if you don't know this, you really helped me leave AA. I mean, the, the AA people helped me leave AA, but I found you. I found Orange Papers when I when I typed in thirteen stepping, and is Bill Wilson a thirteen stepper? Uh huh. And, you know, I have to just say a, a big, huge hug thank you that I spent the next two weeks, you know, every evening glued to the orange papers. You had no forum yet, so I just read you. I just read page after page and was like, uh, go to my, I still went to meetings, and I'd go to the meetings and talk about what I was reading. And, of course, you know, nobody really gave me any shit because I had 30-something years or whatever back then. And um, But anyway, I love it. So, okay, you, you get too big, and then you create the orange papers. And let's just talk about the evolution of it. Okay, yeah, well, like I was saying, I ended up migrating from one website to another to another, and then finally I ended up just um, getting my own hosting on hostmonster.com, and I'm going to move it again in the next month or two to a, a guy who volunteered to host it out of Florida which will be good because host monster is getting to be a problem technically. Mm. They aren't as good as they crack up to be. So once again, wandering to another site. But the growth thing was just, I just kept learning more, you know, like the whole thing about the history of AA starting with It just began with a few references where some people had rumored that there were Nazi connections. And so I started really researching it and went through every book that I could get out of the Multnomah County Library, including their interlocking, which is fantastic. I was getting books from all over the USA that were really rare. In one case, I got the only available copy in all of the USA or Canada of some rare book. And I just collect all those little factoids about Frank Buchmann, the founder and leader of the Oxford group, going to Nuremberg Nazi Party rallies and Wow, and see Heiling Adolf Hitler and all of this fun stuff. And then he'd come home and his followers, Bill Wilson and uh, Dr. Robert Holbrook-Smith and Clarence Snyder were true believers in this cult. And they all insisted that if you believe in this religion, it'll save you from alcohol. And it was like, wow, you know. So that ended up being a whole section of the paper. And then 
the letters thing, I had that idea from Apple, too, where she would put up letters that she'd received. And that grew into a monster in its own right because people were constantly writing to tell me that I was all wrong while other people were writing to tell me that I was all right. So it made for a fantastic debate. And then yeah. people started suggesting, why don't we have a forum so that we can, like, get in there that way, too? And I said, sounds like a great idea. So now we have a forum. Yeah, the thing I like about your forum, too, is that you can go in and change things. I don't have that feature. And you can start a topic. I think it's one of the great things about uh, – I mean, I didn't think about that recently, What, why it's become so popular. And then it dawned on me that some, any individual can create a topic and then write a piece. And so you have a lot of uh-huh. participation. You really – Yes, yes. Right. And I don't have to act as the editor or moderator and – prepare all of the pages myself. Right? Other people can do it for themselves, which is really neat and saves me right. a lot of work. Yeah, really. It's, it, can be, it can be hard, although it had trolls, but we, it seems like they're pretty troll-free right now. Um, there's one that's interesting yeah. person. But, yeah, well, it's, that it's was really... a battle. I started off wanting it to be just wide open and everybody can be free and say anything they want. And unfortunately, we got some trolls in there that were like really vicious and even drove some people away, people that I hated to see gone. And right. so I actually had this banning trolls, which I really didn't want to do because I'm philosophically committed to freedom of speech. And that's why I like to let all of the hate mail letters go on the uh, letter section. People call me all kinds of names, but it doesn't bother me. I'll put their letters up anyway. But when they start hurting people to the point of driving them out of the forum, and I got to put a stop to it. Unless there goes another ideal, and this is perfect freedom. Right, right. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, I think a couple of the really horrible ones that they said about me last summer, not the past one, but the one before, I'm going to wind up putting in my film right up on the screen to show how evil they are. It's just how sick. They're like, the kind yeah. of stuff that they say is... I was talking to my producer, and uh, we were editing, and I, I showed him one, and he said, oh, my God, don't delete that. He said, we need to put that up on, in the movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, that's been part of my life all along, was give them enough rope to hang themselves. <laughs> when you put up, oh, yeah, when you put up the hate mail and let the whole world see, this is where these people are really at. You know, it's like, I'm not making this stuff up. Right. It's impressive, yeah. Yeah, they they can't believe it. I had sent one to uh, a journalist uh, back east when it happened, and her husband's a journalist, and they had lawyers, and, they were, and I went to the police, actually, about that one, and I think the good thing that came out of that is then the police officer knew what was going on. He clueless about what was going on in AA, and he goes, yeah, well, that should be a place where people should be safe. What? He's like, what? And like, yeah, you need to know. <laughs> like, this is what the kind yeah, of stuff yeah. that said to me, Right. So, I, you know, we are talking to Terry Orange from Orange Papers, the creator of the blog, the huge head, the, the huge uh, blog that I think is helping a lot of people uh, see the truth. And it's, uh, yeah. Um, tell us a little bit more maybe about your background. You want to tell us a little bit more about yourself or you want to just talk about the, the blog? Oh, well, it's um, like the Grateful Dead thing with a long, strange trip it's been. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, at, at Berkeley, I uh, got into LSD because I wanted to change my mind and try to straighten out my head and be happier. And, well, it sort of worked and sort of, sort of didn't work. You know, like uh-huh. LSD is not 
a cure-all, but at the same time, it can show you some things. Mm-hmm. But then you end up with, you still have to work on yourself, which takes right. years and years. And then, so I dropped out of college, which meant I was immediately vulnerable to the draft. The war was going on then. So the next thing I knew, I was in the Air Force. That's where having a military father actually did help. Yeah. Because, you know, the military takes care of itself. And the day I was going to be drafted and sent to Vietnam, I went into the Air Force and became an accountant. Oh! <laughs> Wow. <laughs> yeah, so I never saw combat. So I even remarked to a Marine friend you know, that I sort of regretted it, that I wish I had gone and seen it. And he just said, Terry, you're crazy. He would have just messed up your mind. And that was a guy who did see combat. You know? So I guess I should be glad about that. Yeah. I think we needed then, you to be alive to create orange papers down the road in yeah, the future, right? right? But then at okay, the same so, time, wow. I was still opposed to... Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, continue. I was opposed to the war still and couldn't in good conscience continue with that, so I started faking suicide attempt, which seemed like familiar territory. <laughs> oh, sorry. But they were just like, they kicked me out anyway. So then I went off to Taos, New Mexico, and worked for a couple of hippie corporations and then moved up to a commune and spent years there building a log cabin and Swing the chainsaw and feeling like a real man in the woods. And it was fun. That was a good time. And that's yeah. where I met my, my wife. And we were together for seven years and had a kid who, who is now about 36 or 37. Wow. And then it was just one thing after another. But it was after the marriage broke up, actually, that I started drinking too much. You know, mm-hmm. one beer a night turned into like four or six. I mean, it just kept growing. And, and then it got to be a real problem. It still dragged out for many years. It wasn't yep. until I was about 52 that it was like just flat out killing me. And then that's when I realized, you know, well, actually, I went through a lot of changes. I didn't just suddenly realize Um for a while there, for about the last year of drinking, I was resigned to dying, where it seems like it's hopeless. You know, it's just like quitting smoking. You always backslide. You always yeah. like fail. So why bother trying? Might as well just stay stoned and kill the pain until the bitter end comes. And then somehow at the last minute, I changed my mind. And I do give credit to a doctor at the free clinic who um, – Near as I can tell, he used a thing called brief intervention on me. Mm-hmm. Brief intervention is where the doctor simply talks to you and reads your beads for, from a half hour to an hour and asks you all kinds of embarrassing questions about how sick you get on alcohol and this and that and the other thing, right? And then sums it all up by saying, quit drinking or die. Choose one. Mm. I've told you how it is. I'm not going to waste my time repeating myself. You know what the score is now, so go do whatever you're going to go do. And so a sane, a sane doctor. Mm-hmm. Pardon? A sane doctor Pardon? who didn't tell you to go to AA. So, yeah, continue. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, he didn't tell me to go to AA. He never even suggested it. No, he just threw it all on me. And mm-hmm. instead of saying you're powerless, he implied just the opposite. He said you are powerful. You know, you can choose. You can make a choice. Wow. And so I thought it over, got another case of beer, drank on it some more, thought about it some more, and then finally decided, oh, the hell is it, you know, drinking routine isn't working out. And then all of a sudden I decided to live. And that 
interesting mystery that I still haven't really figured out. Because if I could figure that one out and can it or bottle it, I could make a million. You know, because there's right. an answer in there somewhere, but I don't have any way to. How do you just suddenly snap and decide to live to the point where it really works and you'll never drink again and you'll be just fine? In fact, I was so determined that three weeks after I quit drinking, I quit smoking. And I haven't had wow. a cigarette in 13 years either. So, yeah, wow. So it's, it's you, you for, wow. You drank for how Pardon? long? That were hard. How many years oh, did you say? Pushing 20 years. Yeah, it's a long but, time. You know, it's hard to, yeah, it's hard to put an exact time on it because, you know, it started off slow. It started off light. And a little more and a little more and a little more. It's hard to pick a day and say, okay, well, here's where it turned into excessive drinking. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it it isn't overnight. I mean, we were talking with uh, somebody I was interviewing, Claudia Christian. She's making a film also about the Sinclair Method and, you know, a a pill, the naltrexone. And somebody like me who drank uh, only as a teenager for, you know, very um, few few years, really, out of the seven I drank, Uh you know, the four were certain, but it certainly wasn't as an adult for 20 years like you. And I think there's a really huge difference. Uh, I think it's really damaging and deadly to call a teenager an alcoholic or an addict. They're not. They're probably only abusers. And even the ones that might even look like, they're not. It just it takes much longer for the body and the brain to really become dependent. It's just not... Uh, yeah. Yeah, but I, I, I think that when I hear, I think MFC66, a blogger, who used to blog on Stinkin' Thinkin', who created the Recovery from Recovery Forum, we we talked about that too, you know, where and the, those, of, those of people like yourself who drank, only really began to drink like that in your adult years and did it hard for 20 and, and finally, you know, are absent and happy that way, why would you want to, you know, even be able to moderate? I could see where it wouldn't even be a desire. You, you had enough, you know, you did enough, and... Uh, you know, I certainly lived many, many years abstinence, but um, absent. Uh, there are so many people in the chat room. I think this is, <laughs> Orange, this is the most busy chat room I have ever uh, seen here. I think Smart or um, when I had uh, Women for Sobriety was pretty busy, but this is the busiest. So I want to ask you, should I wanna, uh, t- if somebody wants to ask a question in the chat room for Orange, please feel free. Um, Gunther already wants to know if you'll ever retire is there a plan in place for someone else to take over the website? That's the question. I've been seriously thinking about that. I'm thinking about getting like some helpers, some moderators in there, because I do want to set up something so that I suddenly can't over there or something. I don't plan to, mind you, but at the same time, old age is catching up to me with a vengeance. And just the last year, I've come down with sciatica, and that, which means I have a crushed disc in my spine that's pinching Ooh. the spinal cord. Oh yeah, my God. horrible, painful, and it makes it extremely difficult to walk. And it feels like people are pulling the tendons out of my right leg when there's nothing wrong with my right leg. You know, it's like, just poke this cord, and gee, you get amazing sensations. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, been thinking about... Um, some way of letting other people gradually take over more and more of the functioning and just, you know, sort of detach, sort of retire. I don't plan to just instantly quit it or anything, but I wouldn't mind um, spreading it around. 
Yeah, I I understand. I think that you could use help. It seems I, I know what it takes to run mine, and uh, yours is a little more running itself. How much time do you spend a day? What what kind of time does it take to run it? Oh, oh, oh it varies. Um, when I'm really in enthusiastic and answering a lot of letters, I might spend the first half of the day. And then I get on my bicycle and ride to the library and upload what I've done and the letters I've answered and all of that good stuff. So about half a day often. Half a day? I think I'm retired. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay, so I'm going to say this again then. All right, we're 25 minutes into the show or something like that. If you go on to Orange Papers, I've actually never donated. I've donated on Stinkin' Thinkin'. If you go on to orangepapers.org, on the right bottom, I think we should have a fundraiser orange, r- r- fundraiser for Orange Day. Here it is. PayPal, donate. Donate whatever you can, 5 bucks, 10 25 whatever your heart desires. But I know that it's an important, it's a really important site. I, I click on it more than once a day for sure. I spend uh, many hours reading. It, it helped me tremendously. It still helps me. I've turned many people on to it uh, to read it. Uh, my son used it to do a report for school. <laughs> he, he was on there and did the research and uh, blogged with some people and then did a report for his uh, health class when he was in high school. So th- think about that. You've even reached into high school. <laughs> well, well, thank you for all the compliments. Wow. Yes, it just even helps a few people. It really helps them. You know, that makes it worth the bother. Because all along I've just been wanting to get the truth out there and let people know that, like, you know, there's funny stuff going on here. For starters, what's passed off as drug and alcohol treatment in this country is a hoax. You know, like 75, 80% of all the treatment centers use the 12-step method, and it's just yeah. a bunch of baloney. Yeah. And uh, this pushed me was I went through a treatment program um, in late 2000 and early 2001. And it was like the Bataan Death March. There were so many people failing and dying and overdosing and, and then relapsing and getting kicked out of the program. It was like the group I was in, my so-called uh, group support group, started yeah. off with about two, two dozen people. And when it got down to six, I said, this is a game of survivor. Who's going to be the last person left on the island? And I was mm-hmm. pretty sure it was going to be me. And yep, sure enough, it turned out to be me because I was just quite determined that I was going to make it and I wasn't going to die that way. And I had nothing to treatment at all. And then a few years later, I just happened to meet the woman managed the floor of the building that I was housed on while I was in the program, right? And we said hello. We were on very friendly terms and everything. And she asked how I was doing. And and she also sort of like knew because word gets around, you know. I mean, she knew I hadn't relapsed. But she was telling me that I was only one out of between 100 and 200 people who were going through the program then. I was the only one who hadn't relapsed. And I was just going, ah, oh, because I really liked some of those other people in the program, you know. Right, and right. And the program gives no help to them. Man, they failed left and right, and a few died, you know. Like, there's one that I still think about all the time. Her name was Luna, and she had to work the streets as a prostitute. And I got to know her when I was just very first out on the streets homeless and just a week 
from quitting drinking, and then I had quit, and it was a program, and we would know each other, run into each other, and she was like two weeks off of heroin and coke. And we got good friends just because we respected each other and we were friendly to each other and we encouraged each other to make it, you know. Mm-hmm. And that was she relapsed. And the last time I saw her, I invited her to go to an NA meeting. She came and she held my hand and she was shivering and shaking because she was sick. And she sat through the meeting hearing the same old stuff as she'd heard so many times and she said, sorry, but I've got to go and work the streets and hustle up my night's provisions. And that was the last time I ever saw her. Mm. And, you know, the weird thing is when she was only a week away from death and I think she knew what was coming, she was worried about me and she was telling me, well, don't get involved with this woman over there because she isn't as clean as she makes out and it might be bad for your sobriety. I mean, that stereotype is a hooker with a heart of gold, right? And yet I actually knew one. And when she was facing death, she was worrying about me. Mm. It's like, wow. You know, and it's people like that, you go, we got to have something better for these people, you know? Right, right. How, so you went to meetings. I didn't read all of your, I've been, Chris, really busy and working on the film. And uh, so you attended AA and NA for how long? For about three months. And it was required to go at least three times a week. I mean, that was the program. As a matter of fact, the whole program could be summed up as you go to like three group therapy meetings a week, and then you go to three or more NA or AA meetings per week, and you don't drink or do drugs. And that was the program, right? But it was, you know, completely ineffective. But anyway, so I went to lots of programs, I mean, uh, lots of meetings, until my crazy stripper counselor got sick and he had to take a leave of absence and he was replaced by a temporary guy who was a very nice guy. Now, he had the problem that he had below average intelligence, so they wouldn't let him be a regular counselor. But the interesting thing was that because he had this mental problem, he wasn't arrogant. He didn't assume that he knew everything. He would actually listen to people. Uh-huh. And so he handed out slips of paper with the smart address meetings on them. I'd never heard of such a thing. <laughs> but he said, you know, if you don't like the 12-step meeting, you, you know, you might want to try these. So I tried those, and it was like a breath of fresh air. I went, oh, my God, you know. A meeting where you can go and tell the truth and you don't have to jabber all of this crazy stuff about higher power will save you. So I I switched and I went almost exclusively to smart meetings from then on and only went to enough AA or any meetings to fill out my quota of meetings because I couldn't always get to like three smart meetings a week. Yeah, I think that's the next area that needs to be exposed is the, I mean, after the Carla Brada murder and kind of following that and knowing the family to see that they paid her insurance, which was like Blue Cross Aetna, paid $1,000 a month for this shitty, uh, there wasn't any real program there. I mean, she could have gone to Tom Horvath's place for that kind of money and where there really was only smart and good food and nice place and yoga and like all this other great stuff and real counselors. They only took them to meetings. And supposedly she was sleeping on, the, you know, the mattresses on the floor. And that's, you know, we're going to follow that and investigate that more. But it's, 
the AAC yeah. is one thing. Terry, if we can just get the 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 coercion coming from the courts against our, yeah. you know, right? If we can stop that and and stop uh, rehabs from sending, but I think it's the courts are bigger. The DUI people think yeah. that AA is a government agency. Yeah, well, I think the courts, to a great extent, they're just taking advantage of the situation because they have like little funding and AA is free, and so we can send people to AA and pretend that we're doing something useful. Yeah, and some of the guys even believe it. Like here in Portland, there is a uh, judge who runs the drug and alcohol court who is a true believer in it. I heard him on the radio bragging about how great it works. Problem is. It's the usual jabber with no specific numbers, no specific studies. Where exactly are you getting this idea of how great it works? You know, because the routine with the courts is simply that the guys who get busted and get shoved into the program are smart enough to know, well, gee, I can't smoke any cocaine for two days before they do a urinalysis on me or it'll show up. So I'll smoke coke and crack for five days and then stay clean for two and do my UA and I party for another five days. And lo and behold, these people graduate and they're cured and the program is a success. Right. Wow. Uh, wow, wow. Well, you know, let's see. We have, okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Finish up. I want to, do you want to take any calls? Okay, yeah. Just one more thing I wanted to say about this crazy treatment program I went through. The frosting on the cake, the real killer, was a couple of years later after I graduated, I met one of the other people from my group therapy on the streets, and he said, oh, hey, did you hear about Harry? I said, no, what? Oh, he got busted for child pornography. I said, oh, really? So I started asking around, and it turned out there was a lot more than that. He got busted for two counts of criminal sexual penetration of a minor, and oh multiple God. counts of possession of cocaine. He had cocaine in his car, in his house, and in his office at the treatment center. And oh then boy. when he searched his computer, and found it was full of child pornography. And so it turns out that he was lecturing us at the treatment center in how to live clean and sober lives, you know, like wow. uh, a meeting and get a sponsor. Wow. And then he'd go home, snort cocaine, look at child porn on his computer, and rape his stepchildren. And that oh was the my God! That's yeah. horrible. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's you know, yeah, that's we've got to shine the light on the steppers, like that story that broke in San Diego, where that guy was pretending he was, you know, well, he said he's sure he's an AA member, and it's but he was uh, molesting the 13-year-olds, and the judge gave him 75 years. But it needed to be. You could see it in the uh, and thanks cause and effect. You're out there uh, for putting the whole the document up, the lawsuit document, which really stated the truth because. That particular reporter did not, he needed to say, AA member. He, of course he was an AA member. He said he was. He played that he was. Yeah. And that's all you have to do in AA is say, I'm a member and I have so much time. And he said he was going to sponsor 13-year-olds. No, no 13-year-old needs to be sponsored by anybody. They need to be parented. <laughs> really? Oh, really? Right? Well, that's another whole hard story that I get, keep getting letters about is YPAA, Young People's AA. Oh, really? What kind of letters are you getting? Oh, well, I get letters talking about how, well, the worst of it, you know, was Mike Quinone's group in Washington, D.C. That's the one yeah. that was featured in Newsweek magazine and on television. Mm-hmm. 
um, for all of their sexual exploitation of uh, all of the young people that would come to the group meetings. Well, they also sponsored a young people's AA convention over there. And it's like, I couldn't believe it. They allow that? Yeah, because the AA organization, the headquarters, won't supervise anybody. You know, but the only thing they'll sue for is if you print your own literature and compete with for loyalties. Right? They get real upset about that. But, you know, you want to read children? Oh, well, you know, every group's independent. And they right, right, want, right, you know, right. Yeah, maybe right, they'll sue yeah. me for my literature. Yeah, they'll sue me. Oh, my yeah. God. That, do you have the yeah. people's parents or somebody that might talk in the film? You're in contact with people that were a part of the Midtown group that would would want to speak. If, there, if you don't have to answer me now, but if you think about it after we get off the phone, I yeah, reached okay. out to them. Yeah, I don't yeah. know, but I can ask around. Yeah, it's uh, you know, wow, wow. I just um, one of the other things too. I mean, you're in Oregon, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Is there any uh, completely non-12-step outpatient uh, treatment or rehab? Not with one called rehab, but some kind of a treatment. Like we have alternatives with Dr. Kern and Jaffe. That's completely non-12-step. Is there an outpatient program in Portland or you know in your state that's completely non-12-step? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, there yeah, is. What's it called? That's what I went through. It was I wasn't like housed in a rehab center. Yeah. Uh, basically, you got you got housing simply. Uh, it was called clean and safe housing, right? In other words, it's just housing where you get a room and you're uh, not allowed to take drugs or uh, drink alcohol, mm-hmm. right? But it wasn't like being locked up in a rehab center. I've never been in a rehab center per se. So yeah, it was all outpatient. And um, what's the name I of it? I think the top of my head, there's got to be at least a dozen of them around. Because I oh really? Saw one so- Mm-hmm. I saw one convention where all kinds of treatment providers were getting together, and they had at least a, a representatives from a dozen different organizations. And apparently, they were all treatment providers, and they all had some kind of treatment program. And from the sounds of things, they were all steppers. So, yeah, there's a lot of it around. Right. Um, so if anybody wants to call in and ask a question, we can take a few. Uh, it's 818-475-9211, 818-475-9211. I am Monica Richardson, and I'm talking with Terry from Orange Papers, the Orange Papers blog. Uh, for if you'd like to ask a question in the chat room, I'm telling you, Terry, I have never had. In fact, I there's so many people in the chat room that I have to scroll the little widget over there so I can see the names we're going to call out. There's Penny, ETP, Cause and Effect, Sally, AAA, I don't know who that is, Rainbow, Rainbow's Garden, Hi Rainbow, Powerful, Live, in, live Free or Dying, I'll Be Free, Gunther. Uh, yeah. Hey there to everybody. There's a whole crew and my uh, yep. my husband's listening through his telephone. And uh, wow. Well, yeah, most of them are familiar names. Hello all. <laughs> yep, there's, they're room. all people that blog on the Orange Papers. Uh, now, you, let's see, of all the areas now, the, the, the information that you have collected, because it's pretty massive and deep, I thought it was really cool and interesting the way that your stuff was, you had a lot of Xerox, really old pieces of paper. Can you talk a little bit about how Bill Wilson 
what he did money and with the fraudulent aspect of what he did early on? Okay, sure, yeah. Um, I think actually the first fraud begins even before AA because he was a Wall Street hustler who liked to brag about getting involved in Ponzi schemes and cheating people out of their money on Wall Street. Uh-huh. No, they weren't really Ponzi schemes. He was misnaming his uh, racket. It was really a pump-and-dump scheme where he would pick out a company like, say, General Electric and say, you know, they're going to have some great stuff. They're going to go to the moon. And so then he was involved with a gang of rich swindlers on Wall Street who would play games like they would quietly, surreptitiously buy up the stock of GE always low bids, always keeping the price down, not creating a big future and not getting people excited. Then when they'd accumulated enough stock, then they suddenly uh, crank up the bandwagon and start a flurry of publicity and bribe the reporters to report that this stock's going to the moon, this company's really hot, this is going to be so great. And then they would start trading the stock between themselves like 10,000 shares at $25 and then 10,000 at $30 and 10,000 at 35 and they'd create the appearance on the ticker tape that this stock is just going to the moon, right? I mean, this is really hot. And they get people to then get all excited and jump in. And then when things reach a fever pitch, they dump all the stock on an unsuspecting market who buy at way inflated prices. And then they laugh all the way to the bank. And then as soon as the furor stops, you know, the stock seems to back down to its natural price and the people realize they got took. And so Bill Wilson was a part of that, right? And that right. lasted until Black, what was it, Black Thursday or Black Monday in 1929 when the stock market went down? Right. And that was the end of that game. Right. So then he became just a really wrecked, down-and-out alcoholic. Oh, by the way, he was never a stockbroker. He wrote in the uh, big book that he was a stockbroker. Yeah. He wasn't a stockbroker. He was never anything like a broker. He was just a Wall Street hustler. Wow. Uh, He went into his um, really bad down and out phase. He got really depressed when he was no longer and started drinking himself to death. And he went through that repeatedly there where there was a guy by the name of Charlie Towns who had a quack cure it basically involves poisoning people with various weird things like chloride and belladonna, which makes people hallucinate. And the strategy was basically detox them by giving them all kinds of weird poisonous hallucinogenic drugs and just keep them whacked out for three or four days. And he got that treatment four times in a row. And the last time was in December of 1934, and by then, in uh, a few months earlier, he'd gotten involved with a cult religion in New York called the Oxford Group. It was a pro-Nazi, fascistic cult religion that was kind of popular among the wealthy, upper-crust people. It basically said that it's okay to be rich. You know, and this Frank Bookman, Dr. Reverend Frank Bookman, sort of reversed Christianity, and instead of saying that a rich man will have as much difficulty getting into heaven as a camel passing through the eye of a needle. Well, Frank Bookman kind of turned it around and said the rich people are just as good as the poor people. The rich people are going to heaven too. Which the rich people love to hear, of course. 
So Frank Bookley got fat contributions and lived a first-class lifestyle in five-star hotels in London and New York. Mm. And Bill Wilson saw all of this, and right. he thought, I want to get in on that game too, right? Right. Well, he didn't have the credentials to really appeal to the rich people, but he did find that he could uh, recruit alcoholics. And plus, he seems to have come out of his hallucinogenic trips in uh, Charlie Towns' hospital with some kind of genuine religious beliefs where he really did imagine that he saw God or something like that under the influence of hallucinogenic drugs. So he was quickly setting up home churches and bringing in alcoholics and preaching to them. And it didn't work out at all. You know, he'd steal his best clothes and hawk them, and another guy committed suicide by putting his head in the oven and killing himself on the gas. And, yeah, not a pretty thing. But anyway, he stuck with it, and this thing came down where he had to go to Akron, Ohio, because some of the Wall Street guys that he still knew and was involved with were wanting to take over a rubber equipment manufacturing company in Akron, Ohio. Right. And there was a stock proxy battle going on. So Bill Wilson and Dang went to Akron. They lost the battle. They didn't get any control of the company. And so the other operators left town and left Bill Wilson alone for the weekend to see what he could salvage out of the deal. Well, the story is he was afraid he would drink, so he called up a Reverend Tonks, who was another staunch Oxford grouper, and asked for some other alcoholics to talk to. Now, this wasn't really such an unusual thing because, first off, Bill Wilson's mentor in New York City was... Um, Oh, his name is slipping my going to come to me in a second. Uh, anyway, the New York poster had converted Reverend Tonks in Akron and undoubtedly told him, you know, go call up this guy and, you know, connect up with him and go to Oxford group meetings while you're in Akron. And the Akron chapter had actually started because they were treating alcoholics. Specifically, they were rich son of the Firestone family, you know, the famous tire manufacturers. Well, their son, Russell Firestone, was exactly like the character in, oh, that movie with Debbie, what's the name? Um, with who? Um, it'll come to you in a minute. Basically, it was about a very rich Oh, you're breaking up a little bit. You just, you're, you're just, it's harder to hear. You're breaking up your phone a little. Which, what was oh, the okay. film about? Because maybe I'm a film buff, so maybe I can help you remember. Um, um, you know, what, was it Howard Hughes? Um, I'm trying to think. Was it Dudley Moore? Um, what was it about? It was about. It was about the guy who had, um, remember the English Tonto and Liza Minnelli was his girlfriend and he was constantly walking into five-star hotels drunk and bringing prostitutes Oh, yeah, Arthur. And yelling yeah, it is Arthur. Yeah, yeah Arthur. Arthur. That's it. Arthur. Right, Arthur. Okay. So anyway, story was Arthur. They had the same thing going on with Russell Firestone. And the Oxford oh. group 
excited in trying out Russell Firestone for a few months. And the senior Firestone, the father of the family, was so impressed that he financed the setting up of a permanent Oxford Group chapter in Akron. Mm. And that's where the second actor in the play came in, Dr. Mm. Robert Holbrook-Smith, was a hopeless alcoholic in Akron who got drafted into the Oxford group, and they were hoping that they could sober him up and salvage his life because he really was a mess, right? Right. And thinking that he alcoholic. Right. And so then what happened was when Bill Wilson called up Reverend Tunks, Reverend Tunks referred Bill to another fellow who referred him to Henrietta Seberling, who was related to the Firestone family, and she said, oh, I know this doctor you really should talk to, but uh, he's already passing out drunk today. Uh, Tomorrow. You can meet him tomorrow. And so the two met. Somehow Bill Wilson managed to convince Dr. Bob that the Oxford group really was the answer to all alcoholism. And the next thing you know, the two of them are tripping around Akron together, going to hospitals and grabbing alcoholics and trying to Mm -hmm. convert them to the Oxford group religion. Uh, What wasn't obvious in the Hallmark for TV movie is that they were recruiting for the Oxford group. You know, the right. myth that Alcoholics Anonymous started in Akron in spring of 1935 is right. a complete fairy tale, right? They were staunch members of the Oxford group and they were busy recruiting more alcoholics for the Oxford group while Frank Bookman went off to Nuremberg Nazi party rallies. But they don't want to talk about that. Yeah. Right. Well, they, that's why they had to separate themselves. The other thing, too, that I found out, Orange, from, you know, as beginning the process of making the film, is I forced myself to go see the new Bill W., which is a total propaganda film about AA, and I was reading uh-huh. the, Marty, the Marty Mann biography that somebody sent me anonymously. Between those two things, that it was not a grassroots movement at all. It was bullshit. Like there was no grass. They went to the top, to the top. Like you're talking about Firestone. These are names. You know the people that yes. uh, was it Rockefeller that Marty Mann. Once yes. he met Marty Mann, and I don't know. Maybe you know how he met her. I forget, I forget that story. But once he met Marty Mann, he freaking knew his ticket. He had his ticket because she knew everybody. Henry Ford. Like when you started like the Ford Foundation, they are so entrenched. Incorporate. They yeah. went to the top corporations, Orange. I was so shocked. He sent out 250,000 postcards to doctors who were the biggest drinkers that AA was the way, and they, they were ordering the big book because, you know, I mean, they were drinkers. But th- that, that's why, you know, God, we have a lot of people in the uh, holding pin who want to, like, ask you a question. Uh, should we take let's, – let's take one question, and we'll, we'll, they'll have sure. to be fast, though. So, listeners, if you're out there listening – it's going to be a quick time on the phone here with Orange because now we have three people. So here we go with the first one. Give me, you're going to give me your name first, and then we'll go with the question. Hi, caller. What's your name? You're on the do you line. Do you have me on what? the line? I do. Do you want to talk, or you want to just? Hi. Listen? Yeah, this is powerful. Oh, I, oh, hi, powerful. How are you? I am great. Thank you. I just wanted to like pass on a little hero worship. Until I read the Orange Papers, I didn't even know that there were any options. I'd wasted years in 12-step, and I'm just so glad that he put all that work in. Oh, my God, thank you so much. Okay. Did you hear that, Orange? Wow. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, Powerful. Okay. I'm going to put you back. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye. All right. So there you go. And we're going to get next caller. Uh, let me see. I'll get there. Caller, you are live. Can I have your name, please? 
Hi, it's Gunther. Hey, Gunther. Oh, hi, Gunther. How you doing? Hi, how are you? I just wanted, I had to call because Orange is a rock star. <laughs> um, in I my wish. opinion. I, I just wanted to thank him for um, saying for me for what I could not say for myself. You know, in, in the beginning, I knew something was wrong, but I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And uh, the work that he's done helped me to identify exactly what was going on. And uh, it, it was just so helpful, and I, I'm forever grateful. Wow, well, thank you. I'm really ha happy to hear you're doing okay. Yeah. Thanks, thank Gunther. You. Thank you for, I'm going to put you back on hold, too. Thank you for letting All me right. know he's, he had a phone. We'll talk later, okay? Thank you. All right, bye. All right, bye-bye. So next caller. Hi, caller, you're on, you're on the line. Can I have your name, please? Are you there, caller? You're live. Uh, maybe they want to talk. Okay, maybe they're just listening. Sometimes that happens. All right, so they're back on hold. All right, so they're happy. They're saying thank you and smiley face. Uh, it's pretty awesome. We're talking to Terry, uh, who is the creator of orangepapers.org. And remember uh, that if anybody wants to donate, when you first go on that, uh, might as well make it, say that one more time. You go to orangepapers.org, but scroll all the way down. I know a lot of us don't do it anymore. We go straight into the forum you scroll to the bottom, and at the very bottom on the right, there's a little button that says PayPal. Now, we have very few minutes left, but, yeah, there's a lot of misconceptions, and I thought I was Miss AA and knew it all. We have about six minutes left. Um, it, what, what else do you want to talk about? There's a lot of stuff. We'll, let's have you on again. Uh, I would love to have you on again. I would yeah, love to interview you from my film, but you'll have to tell me if you want to do that or not. Somebody mentioned it, and I thought it would be a great uh, piece if you want to be. If you don't want to be, we can talk that about that later. interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I'm positively Dude. inclined. Yeah. Oh, well, that would be great. Minutes? Yeah, you have <laughs> okay, six well, minutes left. In, in 30 seconds, if I could say anything, I'd like to say simply to the people that are not yet quit, that are struggling, that are wondering, you are not powerless. You do not have to resign yourself to death. You do not have to work any particular program. Anybody who says you've got to do it this way or else you'll die is lying to you. That you can change your own life for the better. In fact, that's one of my favorite um, quotes that unfortunately I can't pull up at this second, but it was like uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson saying something to the effect of, I know no more encouraging fact in this world than the ability of man to raise himself up by his own efforts. So, like, mm. yeah, I mean, there you go, you know. You well, that's a good it. one. That's a good quote to put up on a big screen and uh, and say that. Is there another? We have another person. Let's just see if they. Let's. You want to take the call for them to just say hi to you? Maybe that's all they want to do. Let's see. Do you have a question or a comment? Hi, caller. You're live. Can I have your name, please? Yeah, hi. It's Free from AA. What is your name? I just spelled Free from AA. Oh, okay. Hi. 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 Hello. I just wanted to thank both of you. And Orange, thank you, because after being in AA for 13 years and really not knowing, I had other options and knowing I wanted to break free and having a lot of fear and um, just not finding the big book to uh, <clears throat> be the solution or the uh, program. I'm just really glad. I'm just glad that you guys are out there and uh, I'm reading everything that I can. Okay. 
I'm glad Wonderful. to hear your voice. I feel better than ever, too. Thank oh, you. good. Th- thank you. Free from AA, that is. Blogger, now I have a voice to go along when I see you blogging. Thanks for calling in. Yes, freedom now. Yes. <laughs> it sounds okay. like the 60s all over again. I know. Free from AA. Okay, thanks for calling. We've got one more, one more we can get in. I think we have three, three and a half minutes. Let's try one more. Uh, let's see this, if they want to say hi to you, Rockstar. Hi, you're calling. You're live. Can I have your name, please? Yes, this is Marie. Oh, hi, Marie. Hello. Hi. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Thank you both so much for having Orange on the show. And I want to point out that one of the most important facts that I was able to get off his website is the fact that there were 10, I'm sorry, 1 million big books sold in the first 40 years, and there were 30 million big books sold in the next 40-year history of the program. And I think it's so critical to understand that because that's how the program opened up the doors to a lot of criminals, a lot of people with other issues, a lot of Al-Anons that really wanted free therapy, and Mm -hmm. a whole other number set of uh, categories of people that came into AA that really didn't belong there and don't belong there. So I think the, the, the 1 million in the first 40 years the 30 million in the next 40-year period, I think that's a very important fact, and it helps us understand how AA got in the condition it's in today, today yeah, which is ordering. essentially useless. It's basically yeah, the, Wow, useless. Marie, thank you. It's really important. I'm going to put that in my film. Oh, they, and they did that yeah. through the court yeah. ordering, right, Terry? I mean, yeah, that's court-ordered DUIs and sentencing people, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, very good point. Yeah, the whole idea, when you think about it, it's, totally weird to say we're going to sentence you to a self-help program yeah go, right is this an oxymoron <laughs> is that a contradiction <laughs> in terms oh my god it's not exactly. thank you marie thank you we have to okay have to, uh, thank you all right thank, thank you, you. So, have a good day. thank you for calling Bye-bye. in all right okay. um you know terry this is really it's one of the big things i've created literature and i i think it's going to happen that i'll have to come up and meet you that I've, I actually went to a meeting, but that it's, it needs to go all over the country, that anybody wants it, that if we all go to some courthouses, and I mean, we really have to get it at a bigger level, and they need to know that they can't send anybody there, and people have to say, no, you can't send me here, and I, it's a religion, and you, you can't send me to fucking like a religious, you know, self-support group for a, for a, a drunk driving ticket, for any ticket in the United States. Yeah. Right? And then something else I do like to stress to the um, faithful Christians is it's also a totally heretical religion. You know, I mean, people who are like sincere in their Christian beliefs are horrified when they hear, well, you know, you can worship anything from a coffee pot to a golden calf to a group of drunks as your God. And you go, my God, hmm. And yet the courts are sentencing people to that religion. I mean, it's so wacky that you wonder, is this a joke? I mean, is it, are we trapped in the middle of a comedy routine? Is this the Truman Show? <laughs> mm, that part is that it, no, it seems to be real. Yeah, yeah it seems to be real. Uh, we have 36 seconds. I want to thank everybody in the uh, chat room. You can always listen to every show free on iTunes. You can download it to your phone, download it to your computer. It's all free. Tell everybody. Terry, we'll have you on again. This is Terry from orangepapers.org. I'm Monica Richardson. Thank you so much. I'll be in New York interviewing people next week, but I will call you, Terry. We'll, we'll have you on again and talk about interviewing up there in Oregon, okay? Okay. All have right. So, all right. Sounds great. Everybody, 
Good night, and we will see you. I'll upload an old show, and I will see you in two weeks. Good night, everybody, and take care. Bye-bye.